Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you live from the office. Finally, we're back in here. We've uh, <laughs> we've been on the road a lot. We've been traveling a lot. Been a lot going on. Uh, been hiding out from the heat quite a bit. Just staying close to the air conditioner as much as we possibly can. Uh, for a guy like me, that's important these days. I want to share a message with you that is is. Uh, it's probably not anything new to anybody, but I believe it's something that we have begun to maybe leave out of a lot of our teachings. Uh, maybe, maybe as pastors, maybe as churches, maybe as ministries, uh, we've had a tendency to walk away from this particular subject because it's not real popular. Now, I've never really been much about popular. I just speak it like God puts it on my heart. Oftentimes, they're shin kickers, toe stompers, whatever you want to call them. But I believe that that's what the gospel is. I believe it's what God's instructions for us are. Uh, oftentimes, we need correction. And part of that correction comes um, in disciplines and in, in things in our life that maybe are uncomfortable. Well, today's message may be a little uncomfortable, but I hope it enlightens you to, to something. It enlightened me. Uh, I've had a, a base knowledge of some things. I've done some research a long time ago over particular words. And sometimes when we do research a long time ago, maybe we lose some of the definition. Maybe we didn't ever find the definition completely. Maybe we found what we wanted to find. And in the process, through years, through time, through more search, more rescue, we find more things, and, and that's what happened with this. I want to share a message with you today called Holy Fear. It's not really a common topic, right? Holy Fear? What does that mean? Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's an interesting thought. It's an interesting message. What is the fear of the Lord? Fearing God means having a reverence for him that greatly impacts the way we live. Now, I was in Durango. I was a youth pastor there, and, and there was a conversation going on. Uh, another one of the youth pastors was struggling with some things, having some problems with some stuff, and and there was a the word fear came up, um, and there was a little misunderstanding there. And part of that misunderstanding came from maybe some misguided teaching or maybe just some teaching that wasn't foundational. But it was a, basically the definition came as, well, you know, to fear Lord, the Lord is, it's kind of like the fear that you have of your dad. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's more of a, a respect thing. There's some truth in that, but it goes way deeper. Because what I had learned in that time frame that those words being used in the context in which they were being said there literally meant terror. Phobia was the word translation, and terror. That's a little different than respect and reverence, right? But fearing God means that we have a reverence for him, and it greatly impacts our life. It's not just a passing whim. It's not just, oh, yeah, you know, I, I respect God. Oh, yeah, I, I revere him. It's way more than that. It impacts our life deeply. The fear of God is respecting him. It's obeying him, submitting to his discipline, and worshiping him in awe. You ever really thought about what that means, to worship God in awe and wonder? Look around you. I mean, look at creation. 
I used to love, I'm a hunter. I love to hunt. I love to be out in the woods. I love, because you're in the nature, you're, you're out in God's creation. And it's so easy for me to fully come to grips and understand the awe of God, how he created some of the things that are created here. There, there's such a magnificence. There's, there's such detail there. It's not just throwing stuff together. Everything has its place. And this ecosystem, as people like to refer to, everything has its order of life. And it's so awesome. I saw a photo yesterday. Ron and I love our hummingbirds. We have, and right now we're, 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 there's a whole pile of them here. They're, they're maybe moving on towards the South. Um, as, as summer comes to an end, they move out of here rather quickly. We've had a few throughout the summer. We run the feeders. We feed them. You know, we watch them. It, it's fun. Rhonda planted some wildflowers in front of our, our picture window this year, and 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 those birds love those wildflowers. And then we have our feeders right out in front. And and and, but I saw a photo yesterday, magnificent photo. I, I don't remember the the photographer, but it was a still frame capture of a of a female hummingbird just about to eat a fruit fly amazing photo the guy talked about how long it took him to get that photo uh, to, for his camera to focus correctly for, for but it was like this this little bitty fly is just millimeters away from the beak of this open-mouthed hummingbird and i think god created all of that he, he created the fruit fly so that the hummingbird would have something to eat the hummingbird pollinates our, our flowers it pollinates our garden there's so the ecosystem is so amazing, just incredibly awe striking, and it's God's. So, so to to fear God, not only respecting Him, but in obedience to Him and submitting to His disciplines, and worshiping Him in the awe and the wonder. What exactly is the fear of God? The word used for fear in the book of Proverbs comes from the Hebrew word yira. It's Y-I-R-A-H, but it's pronounced yira. Strong's concordance number is H3374, if you want to look that up. It means to morally reverence or revere. God wants man to take his words seriously and put them into practice. He deserves worship and respect as the loving creator of everything, all things. Even in the New Testament, Gentile believers are called God-fearers, and the early church was built upon the fear of the Lord. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, if you want to dig into that. So why does the Bible see fear as a crucial, but yet even a positive idea? You ever looked at fear as being positive? It is when it comes to biblical terms. The Hebrew word for fear, yirah, or yirah, carries a far broader meaning than our English word. To us, fear is nearly always negative. It's about being afraid or scared. But yira has a range of meanings from negative, being dread, to positive, worship and revere. From mild, being respect, to strong, being awe. Almost every time revere or reverence is used in English, it is a translation of the Hebrew word yira. In Leviticus 19.3, we're told to yirah, our mother and father, which certainly should mean having a respect or reverence for them, not shrinking from fright and fear from them. We should respect and revere our parents, young people. Jewish interpreters understand fear of the Lord, uh, yirah and I, exclusively in the most positive sense. 
It is defined as an awe and a reverence for God that motivates us to his will. Now, again, it's it's pronounced in the, the fear of the Lord being Yirah Adonai. Fearing God is fearing God's punishment is actually an inferior understanding because if all we do is fear God's punishment, it's self-centered. It's selfishness. We, we're just fearing an infill result that we don't want. It, it doesn't change how we perceive God's power, how we perceive God's creation. Uh, in order in order for us to do that, it would if all we're doing is worrying about our punishment, it's self-centered. By asking what will happen to us because of God's knowledge of our deeds, you're not really focusing on the glory of God. You're focusing on your own interest. You're focusing on your own end. It's self-centered. Holy fear is birthed in obedience. Uh, this is something I think, maybe this is a refrigerator note. Holy fear is birthed in obedience. <clears throat> For the unbeliever, the fear of God is the fear of the judgment of God and eternal death, which is eternal separation from God. In Luke 12, 5, But I will point out to you whom you should fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority and power to hurl you into hell. Yes, I say to you, stand in great awe of God and fear him. This, this fearing God like he's our dad, you know, don't want him to spank us. Don't, don't want to, you know, I, you ever made your mom cry? I hated that part. My mom would cry. Now, she would switch me. She'd peach limb switch. Boy, she'd strip the leaves off that thing so fast to make your head spin. And she carried one of them to church with it. It looked like a whip antenna sticking up out of her perch. And I had a tendency to connect with that thing about every Sunday, somehow. I think she did it just to, just because, you know, she knew I needed it, whether I needed it or not. Probably needed it. But, but the, I wasn't afraid of my mom. I wasn't a, a I wasn't scared of my mom. I, I really never was scared of my dad. I, I mean, I always hated it because if mama whooped me, dad was probably gonna whoop me when he got home too because I'd done something dumb. But there wasn't a fear of that. It was a fear of the punishment. I didn't like the punishment. I wasn't scared of them. I I knew why they were doing it. I knew I understood that part, and and that's what I guess what we're getting at with God is we 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 have this tendency to to fear God's you know. He's not like a, a a a dude up there sitting there playing whack-a-mole. God doesn't have a big mallet waiting on you to mess up so he can whack you in the head. That's that's not what he's doing. God loves us, but he demands that we not only respect him in awe and wonder, but he also demands that we obey him. The, the obedience. Listen, to be outside of God, to, to to we should we should have a a a phobia, a terror of God's wrath. Because if we are not his, we're going to receive that wrath one day, and it's not going to be a good thing. Hebrews chapter 10, 31 says, It is a fearful and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, incurring his judgment and wrath. I've always saw that, that when I see the word fear in the Bible, the word of fear God, that phobia, that terror, it isn't that we should be afraid of God. We should be afraid of his wrath. We should be terrified of falling into the hands of a living God, incurring his punishment and wrath. For the believer, the fear of God is something much different. The believer's fear is reverence and obedience. As a follower of Christ, if you're surrendered to the Lord, 
if if Jesus is living inside of you, the Holy Spirit flows through you, this 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 fear of God is I don't want to I don't want to displease him. I, I want to reverence him. I want to be in awe of him and I want to be obedient to whatever it is that he's asking me to do. There's a huge difference in being terrified of his judgment and, and being in awe of him, wanting and desiring to do the things that he wants me to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 through 29 says, is, is a good description of this. It says, therefore, because of this, remember, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This reverence and awe are exactly what the fear of God means for Christians. This is the motivating factor for us to surrender to the creator of the universe. I, I like that phrasing. It's a great motivating factor to surrender to the God of the universe. We talk about surrender a lot. But we understand its meaning, that we are to surrender our life to Christ. It's really our only option. It's not where I speak to a lot of military veterans, a lot of wounded veterans and things. Uh, I use that word, and that's not a word that they're taught in the military. Uh, there is no surrender, right? And, but yet it's, it's, it's necessary to, to be in the army of God is full surrender. We've got to give him everything of us. We can't hold anything back. He understands us. He knows us. And he's asking us to trust him and surrender to him. So that he has control of our life from this point on. Until we understand who God is and develop a reverential fear of him, we cannot have true wisdom. True wisdom comes only from understanding who God is and that he is holy. He's just and he's righteous. God doesn't do anything that's not holy, that's not just, that's not fair, that's not truthful and righteous in a right standing. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and, and uh, 20 through 21 records, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders that you saw with your own eyes. Now you think about that. The, the, the children of Israel, are, they saw the hand of God in, in miraculous ways continually. There's so many things that we take for granted about the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, uh, out of the, the captivity, the Hebrew children coming out of captivity. So many things. We have no idea. When, when you really start looking at the history, the research of that, the mass numbers of people, what it took to sustain them on their journey is staggering. God provided it all. What an awesome God we serve. Amen. The fear of God is the basis for our walking in his ways, serving him, and even loving him. The, the fear of him, this, this, this reverential, this awe of God creates this avenue that, that we can walk in his ways, that we walk in obedience to him, that we serve him that we do what he's called us to do, and that we love him unconditionally. He loves us unconditionally. I don't have to put conditions on God. Okay, God, I'm going to love you as long as you provide money from a bank account and you know you keep me safe and you know that kind of thing. There are no conditions. I've been through the hardships of life. 
I'm still in some of the hardships of life. Physically, I'm a train wreck. Why? I don't know. I, I call out to God. I, I know I was abuseful to my body in my early days. I'm paying that price now. Take care of your body, young people. But, I mean, I'm doing what he's asked me to do. I'm serving him. I'm living for him. I'm a witness for him. Yet I'm still struggling physically. I'm, 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 I have my moments where I really get depressed, really get down because I can't physically do the things that I want to do. And I, I have a hard time with this at times. Um, I can tolerate a lot of pain, but there are days when it just gets to you. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. The, the, fear, of the fear of God is the basis for our walking in his ways, for serving and loving him. Some define or redefine the fear of God for believers as respecting him. While respect is definitely included in the concept of fearing God, there's way more to it than that. It's not just about respect. It, it, I mean, respect is a minimal word when it comes to our fear of the Lord. The biblical fear of God for the believer includes understanding how much God hates sin. Do you really understand that? Do you understand how much God hates sin? The Bible says that he can't even look upon sin. Now, he sent his only son to this earth. Uh he sent him here with a purpose. Jesus knew his purpose. He's, he spends, what, 33 years on this earth? He understands what's coming. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying. He, he was so stressed, he was sweating droplets of blood. There's, there's a physical thing that can happen that your capillaries break in, in your blood vessels, and, and you literally sweat blood. So he was, he was so stressed Knowing what's coming, he, he knows that he's about to die on a cross. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be beaten down. He, he's going to be beaten within an inch of his life. All to take our sin upon him, he's going to die a physical, brutal death. Now, I, I, he knows he's coming back. He knows God's going to raise him from the dead. He speaks it in three days. I'm going to rise again. He, he tells he's, he's telling people this. They don't get it, but he's telling them this. So he knows that even though he's got to endure all of these things, he's coming back. But, but you understand that, that God hates sin so much that in the process of that crucifixion, remember the depiction where darkness fell across the earth and, and there were earthquakes and there were grumblings? and I really, and this is coming out of the MOV, okay, my own version, but I believe at that moment, when when darkness fell across the earth and, and the earthquake shook and the ground trembled and all I mean everyone was afraid Jesus is hanging on a cross. God's showing His power. Here's what I believe happened: as Jesus assumed the sins of the world, God could no longer look upon Him, and He had to turn away. Darkness fell across the earth. God can't even look upon sin, is what the Bible says. He loves us, but he hates sin. And fearing his judgment on sin is something that we truly need to understand. God's going to, that what a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What a terrifying thing. Even in the life of a believer, he's going to judge our sin. You need to get that. You need to understand that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 to 11, describes God's discipline of the believer. 
We'll start with verse 4. You have not yet struggled to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord, and do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves, and he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. You must submit to, uh, to correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you. Uh, hang on a minute. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his, his father does not discipline? Now, if you're exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate and not sons at all. Verse 9 says, Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we submitted and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of the spirits and live by learning from his discipline? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet, for those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, a right standing with God in a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. I know that's a mouthful. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. Study that out. Study that out. While it is done in love, Hebrews 12, 6 is still a fearful thing. Again, God's coming in love, but look at this. 12, 6, if you missed it in there, for the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves as he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. When we mess up, there's going to be discipline. There's going to be a consequence for our action. We're not immune to to consequences just because we're following the Lord. Maybe we're held more accountable because we should understand differently. My kids, ministry's tough on children. It, um, pastors and, and, and youth pastors and leaders, <clears throat> pay attention to your kids. Um, my children struggled in ministry. Most Most ministers' children do. They're held to a higher standard than others. They shouldn't be because they're just as human as anybody else. Ministers shouldn't be held to any higher standard. They should walk in higher standards. But I used to use a phrase with my children. My, my son really called me out on this. Um, my, we were just, just fresh in youth ministry. Uh, this was back in the late 90s. We were in Durango, Colorado. We come out from Sunday morning service. We get in the car to go home for the afternoon. And my son just nails me. He said, Dad, how come you're one way with us? And you're another way with them. I'm talking about those people in the church. So oftentimes we put on our ministerial cloak and we treat our family like garbage. I was hard on my kids. Now my excuse was they should know better. Maybe they should have. Maybe in my bringing them up, they should. But they're still kids. And they're still human. And they're still going to make mistakes. And they shouldn't be held any more higher accountable than any other child. Now, ministers, we're to be held at a higher level. we got a responsibility. You're going to suffer consequences. There's going to be disciplines, but it should be all around. There shouldn't be any holding back. My kids are good kids. 
My kids have become great adults, great parents. They're struggling through life just like everybody else. But I'm thankful that they've got something they can go back on. Even with me recognizing I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't do everything right. But now they have that to lean on too. They see my mistakes. Hopefully they don't make the same. That wasn't in my notes. That was all for free. When we were children, our fear of discipline from our parents no, no doubt prevented some evil actions on our part, right? The same should be true in our relationship with God. We should fear his discipline and therefore seek to live our lives in a way that pleases him. You think about that for a minute. As a child, as a, as a young person growing up, you knew right from wrong. Your parents had done laid down the law. You knew what you could and couldn't do or should and shouldn't do. And you knew if you did it, there was going to be a consequence. Why are we any different with our walk with the Lord? Why do we nonchalantly sin? Why do we walk off blatantly into darkness when we know we're to be in the light? There is, darkness has no place with light. Light has no place with darkness. They don't mix. We should be carrying our light into the darkness, not setting our light down over here, walking into the darkness willingly. And that's what he's talking about here. <clears throat> Believers are not to be scared of God. We have no reason to be scared of him. We should be terrified of his wrath, the disciplines that come for those who step outside of God's will. We have his promise that nothing can separate us from his love. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, For I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present and threatening nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have his promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your character, your moral essence, your inner nature be free from the love of money. Shun greed. Be financially ethical. Being content with what you have. For he said, I will never under any circumstances desert you nor give you up nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. What a powerful message. That's what God's saying to you today. You finding yourself in a difficult place? You struggling with life? Uh, things got you down? Keep in mind, look at what it says. My, I will not let you down or relax my hold on you. God's not going to let you go. Trust him. Lean on him. If you're messing up, fix it. Repent. Turn away from those ways and allow God to restore you his way. There's a learning curve. We know that. There's going to be consequences for our actions. Someone commits a heinous crime. Can they give their life to Christ? Absolutely. Will they still serve their time? Absolutely. Will God make it easier on them? Maybe, maybe not. There's a consequence. They're going to pay a price. That's, that's the law of the world and the law of, the, of, of how we live today. It's called disciplines. It's, it's the rules of life. 
Here's the bottom line. We are living in a time where holy fear or any fear of God's been abolished. Sadly, with even within the realm of ministry, we have left the, the unpopular teaching of having a holy fear of God far from our pulpits. We seemingly live in a culture that has lost its moral compass and its focus more on entitlement and humanism as its guide. Humanism being, well, you know, what's good for you, that's fine. might not be good for me. You do you, I'll do me. That's humanism. It's taught in our schools. It's taught in our culture. Entitlement. It's like you're saying that, that I owe you for something. I don't owe you nothing. You live your life. This is up to you. You're going to stand before God. I'm not going to stand before God on account of you. And you're not going to stand before God on account of me. He's going to look at your life. He's going to judge you for who you are. He'll judge me the same for, for who I am. In the same measure in which we judge, God will judge us in return. Whew, that's powerful. I believe as I studied this message out, I was led to include some thoughts from the Apostle Paul. And I'll close with these. As he dealt with some similar issues within many of the followers of that time. We're going to catch up to Paul in 2 Corinthians, where where Paul is giving instructions to the Corinthians concerning living a life pleasing to God. This is something we need to pay attention to, because I believe he's speaking this to us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 through 18 says this, Don't be unequally bound together with unbelievers. Do not make mismatched alliances with them inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership can righteousness have with lawlessness, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I'm going to stop right there for just a minute and put in a side note. We This piece of scripture has been used all my life about your dating life and your married life. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't hook up with a sinner, right? I mean, that's the teaching on this scripture. I really feel Paul was not just talking about dating or marriage in this unequally yoked thing. I believe he's teaching on relationships in general. Maybe who we associate with. Maybe who we hang out with. Maybe who we go out after work with. Um, who we allow to influence our life. Our friendships. Our relationships. Yes, our dating. Yes, our marriage. Unequally yoked is going to going to struggle because what fellowship can light have with darkness? Light drives out darkness. Darkness can't encroach on light. Darkness will never put out a light. Light will have to be shut off, and it's doable. You can choose to. It's your choice. God showed me that long ago that that. In the concept of sin, when I sin, it's because I chose to. Nobody forced me. Nobody twisted my arm. Nobody made me. When I sinned, or even today when I sin, it's because I choose to. That's that's rough. That's rough because we're going to answer. There's going to be there's going to be consequences to those decisions. Going back into the verse, verse fifteen. What harmony can there be between Christ and Baal, Satan? Or or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So come out from among unbelievers and be separate, says the Lord. 
and do not touch what is unclean, and I will graciously receive you and welcome you with favor. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul carries on this calling to live in a holy fear of God, letting go of our sinful nature as we understand the promises of God, separating ourselves from that which is unclean in our heart and our mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says this, Therefore, because of this, because of everything we just read, since we have these great and wonderful promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Completing, completing holiness, living a consecrated life, a life set apart for God's purpose in the fear of God, the reverential awe of who God is in our lives. Are you in awe of God in your life? Having a holy fear, at utmost awe of God and his power and his presence. Keep in mind a statement that I told you to hang on your refrigerator. Holy fear is birthed in obedience. The word obedience should carry some impact and some weight. When we are obedient to God's word, we're walking with him. We must be in obedience with God. Holy fear is birthed out of our obedience to the Lord. I challenge you today, let this message penetrate your heart. Wash up clean up, get your act together, and let God use you the way he intended from the beginning. Holy fear, coming into a place where we have this awe of God in his wonders, this, this reverential fear of God. I don't want his consequences. I don't want to fall into the hands of the living God in sin. I want to know that I've got the disciplines of God accurate in my life and I'm trying to walk my way through his life the best I can, serving him in obedience to his word, in a fear, a holy fear of who God is, this awe and worship. What a wonderful feeling to find yourself in that place. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for bearing with me. Going a little long-winded today. Ronnie and I love you. We thank you for all your support. Thank you for praying over us, praying with us. Thank you for your financial support. All of our giving links are on our website, www.livingloudoutdoors.com. That's L-I-V-I-N without the G, livingloudoutdoors.com. All of these are on podcast. I do a podcast every day. You can look that up on, on Spotify, whatever podcast platform you have. You should be able to find us, Living Loud Outdoors or under Buster Holzer. Uh, pretty easy to find. It's got my mug shot right on the page. You'll know where you're at as soon as you see it. Again, I drop a daily, a daily podcast. We do a story time on Saturday that I don't publicly put out much. It goes out on our Facebook page and our personal page. Um, it's great. It's a great time listening to me read a story. Uh, but there's multiple messages going out daily. Uh, get in God's word. Let him, let him show you how to become fearful of him in a holy way. Holy fear obedient to the word of God. Amen. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.